Candlelight Stories audio production. This story was written in 1904 by an Englishman named Lawrence Hausman. A Chinese Fairy Tale Tikipu was a small grub of a thing, but he had a true love of art deep down in his soul. There it hung, mewing and complaining, struggling to work its way out through the raw exterior that bound it. Tikipu's master professed to be an artist. He had apprentices and students who came daily to work under him, and a large studio littered about with the performances of himself and his pupils. On the walls hung also a few real works by the older men, all long since dead. This studio Tikipu swept. For those who worked in it he ground colors, washed brushes, and ran errands, bringing them their dog chops and bird's nest soup from the nearest eating house whenever they were too busy to go out to it themselves. He himself had to feed mainly on the breadcrumbs which the students screwed into pellets for their drawings, and then threw about upon the floor. It was on the floor also that he had to sleep at night. Tikipu looked after the blinds and mended the paper window panes, which were often broken when the apprentices threw their brushes and mal sticks at him. Also, he strained rice paper over the linen stretchers, ready for the painters to work on, and for a treat now and then a lazy one would allow him to mix a color for him. Then it was that Tikipu's soul came down to his fingertips, and his heart beat so that he gasped for joy. Oh, the yellows and the greens, and the lakes and the cobalts and the purples, which sprang from the blending of them. Sometimes it was all he could do to keep himself from crying out. Tikipu, while he squatted and ground at the color powders, would listen to his master lecturing to the students. He knew by heart the names of all the painters and their schools, and the name of the great leader of them all, who had lived and passed from their midst more than three hundred years ago. He knew that, too, a name like the sound of the wind, Weowani. The big picture at the end of the studio was by him. That picture. To Tikipu it seemed worth all the rest of the world put together. He knew, too, the story which was told of it, making it as holy to his eyes as the tombs of his own ancestors. The apprentices joked over it, calling it Weowani's back door, Weowani's nightcap, and many other nicknames. But Tikipu was quite sure, since the picture was so beautiful, that the story must be true. Weowani, at the end of a long life, had painted it, a garden full of trees and sunlight, with high-standing flowers and green paths, and in their midst a palace. The palace where I would like to rest, said Weowani when it was finished. So beautiful was it then that the emperor himself had come to see it, and gazing enviously at those peaceful walks and the palace nestling among the trees, had sighed and owned that he too would be glad of such a resting place. Then Weowani stepped into the picture, and walked away along a path till he came, looking quite small and far off, to a low door in the palace wall. Opening it, he turned and beckoned to the emperor, but the emperor did not follow, so Weowani went in by himself and shut the door between himself and the world forever. That happened three hundred years ago. But for Tikipu the story was as fresh and true as if it had happened yesterday. 
When he was left to himself in the studio all alone and locked up for the night, Tikipu used to go and stare at the picture till it was too dark to see, and at the little palace with the door in its wall by which Weowani had disappeared out of life. Then his soul would go down into his fingertips, and he would knock softly and fearfully at the beautifully painted door, saying, Weowani, are you there? Little by little, in the long-thinking nights and the slow early mornings when light began to creep back through the papered windows of the studio, Tikipu's soul became too much for him. He who could strain paper and grind colors and wash brushes had everything within reach for becoming an artist, if it was the will of fate that he should be one. He began timidly at first, but in a little while he grew bold. With the first wash of light he was up from his couch on the hard floor and was daubing his soul out on scraps and odds and ends and stolen pieces of rice paper. Before long, the short spell of daylight, which lay between dawn and the arrival of the apprentices to their work, did not suffice him. It took him so long to hide all traces of his doings, to wash out the brushes and rinse clean the paint pots he had used, and on the top of that to get the studio swept and dusted, that there was hardly time left him in which to indulge the itching appetite in his fingers. Driven by necessity, he became a pilferer of candle ends, picking them from their sockets in the lanterns which the students carried on dark nights. Now and then one of these would remember that, when last used, his lantern had had a candle in it, and would accuse Tikipu of having stolen it. It is true, he would confess. I was hungry. I have eaten it. The lie was so probable, he was believed easily, and was well beaten accordingly. Down in the ragged linings of his coat, Tikipu could hear the candle-ends rattling as the buffeting and chastisement fell upon him, and often he trembled lest his hoard should be discovered. But the truth of the matter never leaked out, and at night, as soon as he guessed that all the world outside was in bed, Tikipu would mount one of his candles on a wooden stand and paint by the light of it blinding himself over his task till the dawn came and gave him a better and cheaper light to work by. Tikipu quite hugged himself over the results. He believed he was doing very well. If only Weowani were here to teach me, thought he, I would be in the way of becoming a great painter. The resolution came to him one night that Weowani should teach him, so he took a large piece of rice paper and strained it, and sitting down opposite Weowani's back door, began painting. He had never set himself so big a task as this. By the dim, stumbling light of his candle, he strained his eyes nearly blind over the difficulties of it, and at last was almost driven to despair. How the trees stood row behind row with air and sunlight between! and how the path went in and out, winding its way up to the little door in the palace wall, were mysteries he could not fathom. He peered and peered, and dropped tears into his paint-pots, but the secret of the mystery of such painting was far beyond him. The door in the palace wall opened. Out came a little old man, and began walking down the pathway towards him, the soul of Tikipu gave a sharp leap in his grubby little body. That must be Weowani himself, and no other, cried his soul. Tikipu pulled off his cap and threw himself down on the floor with reverent grovelings. When he dared to look up again, Weowani stood over him, big and fine. Just within the edge of his canvas he stood, 
and reached out a hand. Come along with me, Tikipoo, said the Great One. If you want to know how to paint, I will teach you. Oh, Weowani, were you there all the while? cried Tikipoo ecstatically, leaping up and clutching with his smeary little puds the hand which the old man extended to him. I was there, said Weowani, looking at you out of my little window. Come along in. Tikipoo took a heave and swung himself into the picture and fairly capered when he found his feet among the flowers of Weowani's beautiful garden. Weowani had turned and was ambling gently back to the door of his palace, beckoning to the small one to follow him, and there stood Tikipu, opening his mouth like a fish to all the wonders that surrounded him. Celestiality, may I speak? he said suddenly. Speak, replied Weowani. What is it? The emperor. Was he not the very flower of fools not to follow when you told him? I cannot say, answered Weowani, but he certainly was no artist. Then he opened the door, that door which he had so beautifully painted, and led Tikipu in, and outside the little candle-end sat and guttered by itself, till the wick fell overboard, and the flame kicked itself out, leaving the studio in darkness and solitude, to wait for the growings of another dawn. It was full day, before Tikipu reappeared. He came running down the green path in great haste, jumped out of the frame onto the studio floor, and began tidying up his own messes of the night and the apprentices of the previous day. Only just in time did he have things ready by the hour when his master and the others returned to their work. All that day they kept scratching their left ears and could not think why, but Tikipu knew, for he was saying over to himself all the things that Weowani, the great painter, had been saying about them and their precious productions, and as he ground their colors for them and washed their brushes and filled his famished little body with the breadcrumbs they threw away, little they guessed from what an immeasurable distance he looked down upon them all, and had Weowani's word for it tickling his right ear all the day long. Now, before long, Tikipu's master noticed a change in him, and though he bullied him and thrashed him and did all that a careful master should do, he could not get the change out of him. So in a short while he grew suspicious. What is the boy up to? he wondered. I have my eye on him all day. It must be at night that he gets into mischief. It did not take Tikipu's master a night's watching to find that something surreptitious was certainly going on. When it was dark, he took up his post outside the studio to see whether by any chance Tikipu had some way of getting out, and before long he saw a faint light showing through the window. So he came and thrust his finger softly through one of the panes and put his eye to the hole. There inside was a candle burning on a stand, and Tikipu, squatting with paint pots and brush, in front of Weowani's last masterpiece. What fine piece of burglary is this? thought he. What serpent have I been harboring in my bosom? Is this beast of a grub of a boy thinking to make himself a painter and cut me out of my reputation and prosperity? For even at that distance, he could perceive plainly that the work of this boy went head and shoulders beyond his, or that of any painter then living. Presently, Weowani opened his door and came down the path, as was his habit now each night, to call Tikipu to his lesson. 
he advanced to the front of his picture and beckoned for Tikipu to come in with him. And Tikipu's master grew clammy at the knees as he beheld Tikipu catch hold of Weowani's hand and jump into the picture and skip up the green path by Weowani's side and in through the little door that Weowani had painted so beautifully in the end wall of his palace. For a time, Tikipu's master stood glued to the spot with grief and horror. Oh, you deadly little underling! Oh, you poisonous little caretaker! You parasite! You vampire! You fly in amber! cried he. Is that where you get your training? Is it there that you dare to go trespassing into a picture that I purchased for my own pleasure and profit and not at all for yours? Very soon we will see whom it really belongs to. He ripped out the paper of the largest window pane and pushed his way through into the studio. Then, in great haste, he took up paint pot and brush and sacrilegiously set himself to work upon Weowani's last masterpiece. In the place of the doorway by which Tikipu had entered, he painted a solid brick wall. Twice over he painted it, making it two bricks thick, brick by brick he painted it, and mortared every brick to its place, and when he had quite finished he laughed and called good night, Tikipoo, and went home to bed quite happy. The next day all the apprentices were wondering what had become of Tikipoo. But as the master himself said nothing, and as another boy came to act as color-grinder and brush-washer to the establishment, they very soon forgot all about him. In the studio the master used to sit at work with his students all about him, and a mind full of ease and contentment. Now and then he would throw a glance across to the bricked-up doorway of Weowani's palace and laugh to himself, thinking how well he had served out Tikipu for his treachery and presumption. One day... It was five years after the disappearance of Tikipu. He was giving his apprentices a lecture on the glories and the beauties and the wonders of Weowani's painting, how nothing for color could excel or for mystery could equal it. To add point to his eloquence, he stood waving his hands before Weowani's last masterpiece, and all his students and apprentices sat round him and looked. Suddenly, he stopped at mid-word and broke off in the full flight of his eloquence as he saw something like a hand come and take down the top brick from the face of paint which he had laid over the little door in the palace wall which Weowani had so beautifully painted. In another moment there was no doubt about it. Brick by brick the wall was being pulled down in spite of its double thickness. The lecturer was altogether too dumbfounded and terrified to utter a word. He and all his apprentices stood round and stared while the demolition of the wall proceeded. Before long, he recognized Weowani with his flowing white beard. It was his handiwork, this pulling down of the wall. He still had a brick in his hand when he stepped through the opening that he had made, and close after him stepped Tikipu. Tikipu was grown tall and strong. He was even handsome. But for all that his old master recognized him and saw with an envious foreboding that under his arms he carried many rolls and stretchers and portfolios and other belongings of his craft. Clearly, Tikipu was coming back into the world and was going to be a great painter. 
Down the garden path came Weowani, and Tikipu walked after him. Tikipu was so tall that his head stood well over Weowani's shoulders. Old man and young man together made a handsome pair. How big Weowani grew as he walked down the avenues of his garden and into the foreground of his picture, and how big the brick in his hand, and ah, how angry he seemed. Weowani came right down to the edge of the picture frame and held up the brick. What did you do that for? he asked. I didn't. Tikipu's old master was beginning to reply, and the lie was still rolling on his tongue when the weight of the brickbat hurled by the stout arm of Weowani felled him. After that he never spoke again. That brickbat, which he himself had reared, became his own tombstone. Just inside the picture frame stood Tikipu, kissing the wonderful hands of Weowani, which had taught him all their skill. Goodbye, Tikipu, said Weowani embracing him tenderly. Now I am sending my second self into the world. When you are tired and want rest, come back to me. Old Weowani will take you in. Tikipu was sobbing and the tears were running down his cheeks as he stepped out of Weowani's wonderfully painted garden and stood once more upon earth. Turning, he saw the old man walking away along the path toward the little door under the palace wall. At the door, Weowani turned back and waved his hand for the last time. Tikipu still stood watching him. Then the door opened and shut, and Weowani was gone. Softly as a flower, the picture seemed to have folded its leaves over him. Tikipu leaned a wet face against the picture and kissed the door in the palace wall, which Weowani had painted so beautifully. Oh, Weowani, dear master, he cried. Are you there? He waited and called again, but no voice answered him. A Candlelight Stories audio production. Sound stories are copyrighted by Candlelight Stories, Inc., all rights reserved, available at Candlelight Stories dot com